number three. This is it, the final hour. Only a half hour left on that severe thunderstorm warning for Mecklenburg County uh, in the area. We'll keep you posted. It's getting very dark here in West Charlotte. So uh, I, uh, I moved towards the windows, uh, moved away from the uh, the interior. You know, I want to be as close to the... Oh, these are sturdy windows, I think. I mean, they've held up so far. Um, yeah, so all right. Welcome back. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We're talking about the constitutional crisis that Roe v. Wade actually set in motion and how it is now upon us. This is a piece by John Daniel Davidson. I'm kind of bouncing around between a lot of different things. Got an email here uh, from Tim who writes to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. He says, Pete, what do you think would happen if the pro-life groups use the same tactics on the pro-abortion Supremes at the same time? Oh, I, I think there would be outrage. I, no, I know there would be outrage. You want a good example of this? The uh, And I saw Monica uh, mention this on the Twitter machine in um, sort of a warning to the pro-choice folks. She says, if you look like Operation Rescue, you're not winning. You know what Operation Rescue is, right? It's the Reverend Flip Benham, Concord, right? They go out and they protest at the various abortion clinics, right? Like the most, I'm not talking about the people who just go and stand outside and pray or go out there and, you know, if people want to talk, they'll talk with people. I'm talking about the ones that are out there screaming and yelling at people, right? Calling them murderers, that sort of thing. We know what the reaction was from law enforcement, from elected officials, from the media. We know what the response to that kind of tactic was. It was to shut them down. Yeah, they passed laws, right? You can't you can't be anywhere near that. Some of these laws went through the courts because you get into you know freedom of assembly, free speech, that sort of uh, those sorts of issues. So I don't know. I got a pretty good read, I think, on how the left would react if we saw those types of tactics again, right? If we saw those types of tactics directed at the judges' homes. And here's the thing, too. This isn't really, and I say, like, I, I have a consistent standard on this. This is not just me beating up on the uh, uh, the progressives trying to pressure conservatives. Because I also beat up on, well, yes, they were the, well, th- these were the, I call them the temporary anarchist LARPers. Temporary anarchist LARPers, or the TA LARPers, or the TALARPers. Um these are the uh, guys uh, and gals uh, and non-binaries, the they-thems, uh, up in Asheville who uh, they, they were claiming to be anarchists and radicals and all of this, but they're, they're just temporary anarchists. They, they don't want true anarchy all the time. They just want it for a little bit so then they can overthrow the institutions, they take power, and then something, something else happens, and then utopia. That's their vision because they're actually commies, right? They're... And the LARPer, by the way, is live-action role-player. So temporary anarchist live-action role-player. And, and so this was the, these were the characters that they played. These people went to the Asheville City Council members' homes when the, 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 the LARPers were trying to convince the council to defund the police and not reform. I'm talking straight-up defund the entire police department. 
during the summer of love, 2020 and into 2021. And they went and put billboards, signs, like, like the big signs, you know, on the front lawns of the mayor, the city manager, I think one or two council members. Something to the effect of, you know, Black Lives Matter. You need to protect black lives and defund the police. These massive billboards. I objected to it then. I opposed that tactic, recognizing it for what it is, which is what? It's a message. It is a message. It is telling those elected leaders, you better do what we tell you to do. We know where you live. We can get onto your property. We can put this big billboard right in your front yard. We can accuse you in front of all your neighbors of being a racist. These are the lengths that we will go to. Pray we don't go any further. By the way, one of the people that they targeted, the city manager, Deborah Campbell, former assistant city manager here in Charlotte, former planning director here in Charlotte, a black woman. They did that to a black. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if somebody of the right went onto her property Put in a big poster board. Do you think there would have been a different reaction? You probably would have heard of the story. So I'm consistent on this. You don't go to people's houses like that. You just don't do it. If you do, you better be ready to be greeted by somebody like, what was their names? The McCloskeys? Is that, was, their, was that their name? The guy that came out with the pink shirt <laughs> with, the, with, with the AR-15, right? And his wife with the pistol waving it all around. Yeah. For real, like, you better understand. This is the thing. It's like people who road rage. You have no idea who that person in that other car is. You have no idea. You may think you know, but why don't you F-A-F-O, right? That's, and I'm not going to spell that out. I'm not going to jeopardize the, the FCC license, but that acronym means something. Mess around and find out. And so when you go to somebody's house to intimidate them, you are messing around. And if you find out, I will have zero sympathy for you. You don't get to go and pick a fight and then claim victimhood when the fight occurs. So John Daniel Davidson, he points out that in addition to the Democrats' political warfare— we're seeing another powerful and familiar tool of the left emerge, and that is the violent mob, right? When the decision comes down, if Roe is overturned, expect riots. We should expect riots and worse. In the near term, expect threats on the lives of the justices who vote with the majority. Now, some say federalism is going to allow us to sort out our differences on abortion. This has been what uh, my prediction. I am hopeful that uh, if, the, if Roe v. Wade is undone, that... We return to federalism. People have more direct control over these issues in their own states. Some states will ban it. Some states uh, will enshrine it. But, and you know, once we're all sorted, then everybody can kind of live and let live. But John Daniel Davidson says he does not think that, that it's going to happen like that. One reason is the left will not allow it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All righty, so John Daniel Davidson is a senior editor at thefederalist.com. He says he doesn't think federalism 
it's going to save the day here on abortion. He says, uh, even if you end up with states that have different rules, some will allow, some won't, different variations of the restrictions and permissiveness and such. He says, I don't, and they will all be able to live and let live, right? He says, I don't think that's going to happen. One reason is the left won't allow it. More than any other political issue or policy preference, abortion encapsulates a worldview that insists on limitless personal autonomy. And it recognizes no unchosen obligations. So, again, insists on limitless personal autonomy and it recognizes no unchosen obligations. So the only obligations you ever have are the ones that you choose. It declares that some people deserve absolutely no protection under the law. And in that sense, it transcends politics. It's a kind of creed. It's an inversion of our founding creed that all men are created equal. It's actually the reverse, right? It's all men are not created equal. This is why I say the critical question is when do rights obtain? This is at the core of the abortion debate. When do you actually have human rights? When do they kick in? Because when they kick in, then you've got a competing rights question between the baby and the mother. So he says there's no polite way to say it, and the left really hates it when you point this out, but (laughs) the historical antecedent to the modern left's fervor for abortion is the antebellum South's fervor for chattel slavery. Listen to listen to the parallel here, okay, before your head explodes, lefty. Like the abortion regime, the southern slave regime also had a very rigid worldview that was at odds with the Constitution and natural law. It, too, was willing to destroy the country rather than relinquish its worldview and its way of life. The intellectual architects of the slave power were honest about their project. They meant to overthrow the Constitution, which John C. Calhoun thought was based on the lie that all men are created equal. Now, Abraham Lincoln understood the Southern slave creed for what it was. He knew that compromise with the slave regime was not possible and that the United States could not endure permanently half slave and half free. Lincoln said, quote, I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. And he says, look, we're, we're not on the precipice of civil war. This is not 1858, but it's not too soon to recognize this crisis for what it is, to admit that we cannot endure with half the country allowing the murder of the unborn and half of the country outlawing it. Eventually, we'll become all one thing or all the other, he says. Now, over in the New York Times, thank goodness, oh man, Brett Stevens, the quote conservative, writing, I was, seriously, I could not believe it took as long as it did for somebody to write the conservative case for keeping Roe v. Wade, (laughs) which he tried to, you've heard me talk about this, conservatism, first principles, I've mentioned this, that you don't rush headfirst or uh, willy-nilly into really radical changes to the society. That's That's not a good way to create a stable, functioning society. So conservatism recognizes the value of historical precedent, keeping things intact, 
right? Making small changes gradually so as to not create unintended consequences or impacts, that sort of stuff. So what Stevens argues, the again, this is the supposed conservative. Brett Stevens says that conservatism is the conviction that abrupt and profound changes to established laws and common expectations are utterly destructive to respect for the rule of law and the institutions established to uphold it. And he says that if you got rid of Roe v. Wade, then that would be an abrupt change. So we can't get rid of Roe v. Wade because it's been on the books for 50 years. All right. Charles C.W. Cook, a now newly uh, naturalized, well, within the last few years, uh, American citizen. He comes from Britain. So he sounds he, like his accent makes him totally believable in anything he says. Something about that British accent. I don't know what it is. But uh, he is an American treasure. Love me some Charles C.W. Cook. He just guts Brett Stevens' piece at the New York Times. He says, first off, conservatism does not demand some respect for the, or it does demand some respect for the status quo, but it does not require opposition to any change at all especially when that change restores us to the status quo ante. In other words, what was the status quo prior to Roe v. Wade? So this idea that we can't change it because Roe v. Wade has been around for 50 years, which, by the way, it was also Roe v. Wade was like also really uh, twisted by Casey in the 90s. So now the time frame is even less than 50 years or 48 years, whatever it is. Um, so not only are you reverting back to status quo ante, Conservatism certainly does not demand that we accept pernicious lies in perpetuity simply because those lies managed to survive for a couple decades. And Roe and Casey are lies. They were lies when they were written. They were lies 10 years after they were written. And they are lies today. Lefty, pro-choice, legal scholars called these things unconstitutional when they were passed, John Hart, Eli, Lawrence Tribe, David Garrow, they all said the same thing. Not rooted in the Constitution. To demand the court enforce that law incorrectly forever because it has enforced it incorrectly for half a century is absurd. It is absolutely absurd. But that's Brett Stevens, apparently. Charles C.W. Cook writing at National Review, just eviscerating, quote-unquote, conservative columnist Brett Stevens from the New York Times, who was trying to argue that, hey, hey, you know what, conservatism dictates that we not overturn Roe v. Wade because it's been around for a while, and, you know, conservatism means that you protect the norms and you don't make abrupt changes to law. So Cook is obviously in opposition to this idea and says we're not required to maintain bad law incorrect law or lies just because somebody got away with making the lies into a law right and that's what roe and casey did um he goes on to say brett stevens does this quote-unquote conservative writing at the new york times says that the court will be lighting another cultural fire one that took decades to get under control but quite clearly that fire isn't under control cook says it has most certainly, uh, it most certainly did not need lighting either. It's been burning. 
right? The fire is raging still. It was lit in 1973. It was sustained in 92. And 50 years later, it continues to burn. At some level, Brett Stevens seems to intuit this. To his credit, he concedes that Roe v. Wade helped turn confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court into the unholy death matches that they are now. True. And that it diminished the standing of the court by turning it into an ever more political branch of the government. And yet, inexplicably, he is unwilling either to place the blame for these developments on whom it belongs or to conclude that the best way of tamping down the conflagration is to get the court out of the issue altogether. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg knew that the ruling was hot garbage. So says Matt Vespa at townhall.com. He says Ginsburg seems to have known that the ruling would not last forever. He says it is a pile of hot garbage. Uh, She didn't use those words, true, but she noted that the ruling was too much and too fast regarding abortion restrictions. She said, quote, doctrinal limbs too swiftly shaped may prove unstable. She said that in 1992 at NYU. It essentially made every abortion restriction in the country at the time illegal in one fell swoop, leaving it open to fierce attacks. The way Ginsburg saw it, Roe v. Wade was focused on the wrong argument altogether, that restricting access to abortion violated a woman's privacy. What she wanted was a protection of the right to abortion on the basis that restricting it impeded gender equality. Ginsburg believed, according to the Newsweek write-up, Ginsburg believed, quote, it would have been better to approach it under the Equal Protection Clause so Roe v. Wade would be less vulnerable to attempts to have it disbarred. What is she saying? And she's she's not pro-life. Ginsburg was not some big pro-lifer right-winger, right? But she recognized the problem with the ruling, with the rationale, with the contortions and twisting that the justices had to do in order to fabricate this unenumerated, unspoken right under the right to privacy. Ginsburg told the University of Chicago Law School in May 2013, quote, Roe isn't really about the woman's choice, is it? It's about the doctor's freedom to practice. It wasn't woman-centered, it was physician-centered. Now, a ballot box and a legislature are how you keep society up to date. That's how you do that. And by design, that's a slow process. Right now, the Senate is going to uh, push that we codify legal abortion. And that's what should have been the liberal go-to from the start. They should have been doing this from the get-go. There's nothing in the Constitution about abortion. It doesn't prohibit it. You could pass a law if you want the right, but yeah, that takes time and effort. That also requires some serious linguistic gymnastics, since killing babies might not poll very well. But, like with all rights, there are going to be restrictions. And restrictions are actually pretty popular on abortion. Yeah. 60% of women support a ban on abortion after 20 weeks. It goes higher after that. The later the term, the the less likely you are to have support for it. Late-term abortion is super unpopular. This is a debate that is emotional. It is intense. It has gray areas. There's nuance here. But the left would rather be lazy and say that RBG should have just retired and saved Roe. The problem was Roe. The problem was the rationale used from the get-go. People on the right have been saying this my entire adult life. 
And then we have W-R-A-L. I want to give a shout-out to Casey O'Day. I was on his morning program. He's in Raleigh and Greensboro, and I was on his radio show this morning. We were talking about this, and he brought this editorial from the uh, Capital Broadcasting Company that owns W-R-A-L. The guy that owns Capital Broadcasting Company is a funder of all left-wing organizations in the state, uh, Jim Goodman. And Jim Goodman went out and hired himself, the former comms person, for two previous Democrat governors in North Carolina. Bev Perdue, as well as uh, Mike Lottery Easley. And that guy's name is Seth Efron. Seth is now the uh, scribe for the, uh, for the opinions of Jim Goodman and the opinion of Capital Broadcasting Company, which we are to believe has absolutely no influence or connection or bleed-over effect at all with the news department that just so happens to be staffed with a bunch of rabid leftists. Anyway, North Carolina's General Assembly, sooner than later it appears, will face the most basic of choices. Something to keep in mind here. North Carolina uh, does not have a trigger law. So like some states have these what's called a trigger law, which means if Roe v. Wade falls, then this law takes effect. Ours is not like that. We have laws that are on the books, they will remain on the books. So nothing will change. So literally nothing in North Carolina changes unless there is some legislation to change it. Okay? So keep this in mind. This is a Democrat comms guy now working for a big-time left-wing donor that owns like the 800-pound gorilla of, of political TV stations in this state. Okay? And what he's arguing for is... Nothing to change. So now they need they need the General Assembly. All right, guys, uh, just uh, just keep what we have right now. Just uh, this is totally fine. You don't have to do anything. I mean, look, this is going to be a test of your character and integrity. Really, that's what this comes down to. It's it's really like this is going to be. I'm not kidding. He literally says this is the American way. Trying to convince the General Assembly after bashing them for the last decade now. Uh, wants the General Assembly to be totally open to some advice. Hey, guys, just leave everything alone as it is. Is that, is that cool? And get this. He says, North Carolina's current laws are appropriate and adequate. That should come as a shock to everybody that was here watching the complete and utter meltdown of these same people when we said, hey, you know what, maybe we should inspect the abortion clinics in this state at least as frequently as, as we inspect vets. What do you think? Do you think that might make some sense? Maybe maybe have like a minimum standard of care after the Kermit Gosnell horror show. And they went nuts. That's when they started getting dressed up in the, uh, the female genitalia bodysuits. Part of the Moral Monday stuff, yeah. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I do admire how folks on the left are just completely capable of shifting from 
one argument to the complete opposite other side of the argument just immediately when the situation arises. We see it with the you know, bodily autonomy argument coming from the vaccination stuff now to the abortion stuff. Like They don't see any problem. And, and nobody, there's no referee here to hold them to account. The referee, you know, ostensibly should be media. And that's what I'm doing. But there are a lot of people in media that that don't see anything wrong with this constantly evolving position on uh, on various arguments that seem to represent conflicting standards. To me, it, these represent shifting or conflicting standards. And this is the most blatant example of it, where the WRAL editorial guy, Seth Efron, former comms guy for two Democratic... Uh, uh, two Democratic governors in North Carolina. He writes these uh, these editorials, which, first off, I don't care. I really like seriously. Why talk about a vanity project? The 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 millionaire owner of Capital Broadcasting Company goes out and hires a Democrat comms guy to write editorials to let everybody know what the millionaire thinks about things. Oh my gosh. And so this is the line. North Carolina's current laws are appropriate and adequate. These people were going nuts when any kind of rules came down on abortion. Any kind of rule at all, any tweak, anything, these people went nuts. Imagine, he says, also, if millions spent on the politics of abortion opposition was instead spent on alternatives, including adoption and other services. You son of... The clinics that are set up by organizations to try to convince women not to get abortions, you guys target those operations. You you cast them like they're there's some crazy right-wing evangelicals proselytizing and they're they're not providing health care you know they, they can't even get a mammogram there they're just trying to convince you to give the baby up for adoption and now you turn around and say that he then says the most effective way to reduce abortions is by doing things that reduce the need ready easy and affordable access to health care family planning advice and contraception so health care is uh, abortion that's what he's saying the way to reduce abortions is to have ready, easy, and affordable access to abortion, family planning advice, and contraception. Um, so are there any social lessons that you want to endorse here? Any cultural norms maybe we want to focus on? Here's one. Abstinence. Why wouldn't you mention that? Oh, come on, Pete. Nobody really is going to do that. It's a hard sell to make to kids nowadays. So you just don't make it? Shouldn't you make it? Seriously, shouldn't somebody be making that case? You're just going to leave that up to the parents to tell them? Meanwhile, they're bombarded by all of these other cultural messages about cheap and easy sex with strangers and such and how it has no meaning or anything like that. There are no ramifications at all. Right, let me go to hello, Jackie. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Brett. How you doing, buddy? I haven't hey. talked to you in a few weeks. Well, that's probably why you called me, Brett. I'm Pete. Uh, oh, I'm Pete. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, I'm Pete. You're Jackie. 
Yeah, okay. Hey, question. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, you mentioned the fact that abortion was not mentioned in the Constitution. Yeah. But how, how, do, you, how do you think, you know, we all know that abortion more than likely exist, existed then, and women were having abortions. So how do you think uh, abortion was viewed in, in 1776? How do I think it was viewed? Yeah, I mean, was it was it a right of a woman or or the family? I mean, have you read was, Have you read Alito's opinion? No, I haven't. No, he, I've he talks heard about what I've, on, what I've heard on the radio. Yeah, he uh, he talks about that. That there is yeah. this argument that the um, that the I forget was it the plaintiffs I forget who was the plaintiffs in Dobbs, uh, but the, the argument from the uh, from the pro choice side of this argument was that uh, that this existed and it was. Uh, uh, this was part of the part of the normal society. There's historical precedent and all of this. And Alito just he just eviscerates it. He says this is not the case. And he cites all sorts of statutes. He cites common law. He cites all of the the historical records. So, no, this was not something uh, it wasn't like people were running around uh, aborting babies all over the place. It, it, it was not the norm. It was not. So, I mean, that, does that mean that people didn't know how to do it if they wanted to do it? Of course, they would fling themselves down staircases or something, right? They would have somebody beat them up or whatever. But, but you know, abortion is not going to stop. Because any, any ruling is not going to stop abortion. You don't have to go to a medical clinic or a medical facility mm-hmm. to get an abortion, just like you don't have to go to a hospital or a medical facility to have a baby. Mm-hmm. So when there's a, when there's a, the way our society, our system works, works to eat, is when there's a demand for something, there will always be a supplier. Yeah. So if there's a demand for abortion, whether it's legal or not, there will always be someone who's going to supply that service. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, was there a point you were trying to make with that? Because we've got to accept the reality, man. It's not Wait, 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 wait. Accept so what got... reality? That it's going to happen, so therefore we should not... So if we accept the reality that people kill each other... So we should just accept that and no punishment that's, for anybody? That's, that's, that's a personal opinion. No, I'm not talking about killing each other. I'm talking about abortion. Oh, because that's not the same it, thing. That's not the same thing. It depends on your personal view on it. That doesn't. It, 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 it really doesn't after, after a certain period of time. But this is my point, on the, my point on asking you these questions is that you seem to be trying to lead me to a point where I have to acknowledge that because this thing exists and because people will do the thing – then, therefore, I should just allow it to occur. No, no, that's, I'm, not, I'm not, not trying to do that. What I'm trying to say is the fact that this is always going to exist. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the people who are against abortion and the people who are okay with it, we've got to find a happy medium where we learn to work together on this. That's right. All. Well, what's the, so, so, for example, um, if I would like to kill you, you would not like to be killed. What's our compromise position? That's that's too dramatic. Come no, on, it's not. Steve. No, it's you know, it's not too dramatic at all. Actually, it's directly relevant. What's what, what's the? No, just answer the question. Just take a stab, man. Take a stab. Be like Gosnell. Take a stab. Can you can, can you can you come up with a compromise position there? No, okay. It's not about killing me and killing you, Pete. You know the that, point. Is, see, on. you don't want to answer the question, Jackie, because it's uncomfortable for you to answer. I understand why I would be uncomfortable trying to answer it as well. Thank you for the call. It's always good to chat with you. Have a great weekend. Brett Winterbull's coming up next. I'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone.